Tough words, hey. Tough words. Stand up for your rights. Don't let people walk all over you. That, that all sounds like good, empowering advice for living. Add to this a good dose of self-image, self-worth, self-actualisation and self-determination and that's about the best advice that the world can give you for living with yourself and living with others and for keeping your chin up. Do you know what? As Christians, we've got to forget all that. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to unlearn these attitudes that get driven into us every day. Because Jesus calls us to follow a very different pattern. This morning, we're going to continue studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been working our way through it. And today, it covers revenge. It talks about our rights, our freedoms, our possessions. And basically, we have to give them up. As part of the overall Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us once again that kingdom living, living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that we have, it has very different principles, very different values to the, kingdoms of the kingdom of this world. The best advice that the world can give you is not the kingdom way. And to be quite frank, the way that Christ calls his disciples to live makes absolutely no sense unless you're a Christian. And we Christians should not expect the people of the world to live to these same kingdom values because they have no reason to. As with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, there's one reason for living counter to our culture. This life in the world is short, but in Christ we enter eternity and we begin living for eternity today. And today Jesus makes some pretty extreme statements and every one of them challenges me. And every one of them I reckon probably challenges you as well. And the challenge is this. Are you living for this life, which is short, or are you living for Christ and for his eternity, which is very long? Okay. So let's make a start. We'll start off with verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that's a quote coming from a few different places in the Old Testament. Exodus 21 is the first place we find it. And it addresses where injury is caused to an unborn baby. Now, anyone who reckons that abortion is okay needs to have a read of this. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. And that's when it's accidental. Imagine the consequences for doing it on purpose. Exodus 21, verse 22. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, tooth Sorry, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Leviticus 24 talks about accidental injuries. If anyone injures his neighbour, whatever he has done must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has injured the other, so he is to be injured. Deuteronomy 19 
addresses perjury. So perjury, for, for kids who don't know, perjury is when somebody gives false evidence in court. Okay. If a malicious witness takes a stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of Yahweh before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So we've got injuries done to unborn babies, injuries done to one another and injuries intended by giving false evidence against somebody in a court of law. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Now, you might think that all sounds a bit barbaric. Um, You might feel repulsed by the thought of those laws being actually carried out. But you know what? In its context, God's law is a beautiful thing. Yeah, sometimes like we might look at this and think, oh, how horrible this is. But remember who put these laws in place? It was God. And you read in the Psalms and, and, and David would say, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. And in, in Psalm 19 he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. Now, it's not that the law was bad. In its context, these laws were a beautiful thing. They did not promote revenge. What it did is it put limits on vengeance and it took justice out of the hands of the individual and put it into the hands of the community. You see, if somebody was to hit me in the face with a cricket bat, Uh, whether it be on purpose or accidental, which did happen, by the way, when I was at primary school, I was fielding in the nets a bit too close to the batter. But if somebody was to hit me in the face with a cricket bat and I lost a couple of teeth, that didn't automatically give me the right to pick up the nearest rock and smash in the face of that person who just hit me. That's not how it works. That was for the court to decide. Right? Now, today, most you've all heard people say eye for eye, tooth for tooth, haven't you? Yeah, Every time that I've heard that used, it was somebody trying to justify their own self-imposed immediate revenge. Is is that how you've heard it used? Yes? No? Pretty much. Pretty much. But that was never the Old Testament way. It was for the courts to determine and for the court to oversee the justice to oversee the punishment actually carried out. And it put limits on revenge. You know the problem with payback? Inflation. Right? We've all seen it, haven't we? Payback has inflation. Yes? We've seen it with our kids. We've done it ourselves. Little Johnny calls Bobby a name. Well, Bobby pays back by calling Johnny a worse name. 
Johnny pays back by pushing. Bobby pays back by punching. Johnny pays back with a stick. Bobby finds himself a bigger stick. That's how it works, isn't it? Payback escalates. Revenge escalates and it escalates. And what is needed is somebody with authority, somebody who it's not actually happening to, to step in and say, enough, stop, and for them to bring in justice. And that's what this law did. Eye for eye, tooth to tooth, was for the courts to step in and say, this has been done, this is the retribution that is allowed, and no more. And it was finished, finalised. It took judgment out of the hands of the individual and put it into the hands of the community. And so vengeance, which is a godly principle, by the way, vengeance, but it should always be in the hands of God, not us, vengeance was controlled and it was equal and it could not escalate. And the community would make the decision that the wronged party, the injured party, for the sake of justice in their community, was to pay back to a set limit. Now, that's how it worked. As God intended it, in its unperverted state, it was a great law for their community to have. So that was the law and that was their rights. But... Jesus now, for his disciples, sets a new principle. Don't only limit revenge, take no revenge. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I don't know if you've ever considered this, um, but in, in this world... Most normal people are right-handers, aren't they? Are there any left-handers here? Any left-handers? A couple of you? Oh, I'd better be careful what I say. Right, most people are right-handers. Now, if somebody hits you on the right cheek, you've actually copped a backhander. In Jewish culture, that was a huge insult, to be slapped across the face with the back of the hand. Huge insult. We We don't pick up on that because it's not our culture. It's like, remember a few years ago, I think it was in Iraq, President Bush, somebody threw a shoe at him. Do you remember that? And it was all over the news, this shoe hit the president. And we go, big deal. But you know what? To Arabs, they went, oh, yeah, got him, got him. Because that was just the most huge insult that they could have done to him, to being hit with somebody's shoe. Awful, awful. They missed him, did they? Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, it's the same here. To be slapped across the face with the back of hand is, yeah, so what? But that was just a huge insult. So Jesus, he isn't only talking about being literally hit. He is talking about that, but more than that. He's talking about if you've been insulted, if you've been taken advantage of, if you've been maltreated in some way. And what he's saying is, You've got rights, but don't stand up for your rights. Don't look for payback. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, by Old Testament law, you couldn't actually take somebody's cloak. 
there was there was two different sets of attire, right? So I'd be wearing my tunic now. These are my ordinary everyday clothes, and and I would have more than one set of them. But your cloak was your big heavy coat that you put over yourself, and your cloak was your blanket that you would use at night, so that you didn't freeze to death. And the Old Testament law said that you could never take somebody's cloak because that would be just mean and it would leave them destitute and vulnerable. But once again, Jesus is saying, don't stand up for your legal rights. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two miles. Now, you might sort of be thinking, well, yeah, I'd probably go for a mile with somebody. depends on who they were and what the conversation was like. But Israel was an occupied territory. The Romans had won the war and now Israel, the losers, were being occupied by Rome. So Roman soldiers were the enemy and the citizens of occupied Israel had to be subservient to them. And at any time, the Roman soldier could lay the flat of his spear or the flat of his sword on your shoulder and compel you to carry his baggage for 1,000 paces or one and a half kilometres. Now, that's, they must be big paces, hey? But that's the measurements. It's 1,000 paces or it equates to actually one and a half kilometres. Um, and then after that 1,000 paces, you were free and he could compel somebody else to carry it for the next 1,000 paces. Now, imagine how degrading that would feel. didn't matter who you were, didn't matter how important your current task was to you or to anybody else, the enemy could just compel you to drop whatever it is that you were doing and to become his human pack horse. Now, I don't think I'd enjoy being forced to do that. And I doubt that anybody here would either. But what Jesus is saying is don't begrudge being the slave. Don't begrudge being compelled to do the menial. Be a servant. Be helpful to people, even to people you don't like. And do it joyfully. Then he goes on to talk about generosity. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, all of these things we want to try and set limits to. Is that right? As you read through that, you go, yeah, but there's got to be limits. I'm going to set a limit to this. Then you read the next one. Oh, yeah, but there's got to be limits. I'm going to set a limit to this one. Then you read the next one and, oh, yeah, but there's got to be limits. And we try and set a limit to that one. But the thing is, Jesus set no limits. He sets no limits on giving. Give to the beggar. Don't refuse to loan stuff. He sets no limits on giving up our rights. He sets no limits on giving up our freedoms. He sets no limits in giving of ourselves in service to others. He sets no limits in suffering injustice. I always put a fair bit of time into preparing these messages you get on a Sunday morning. It really takes me two full days of reading, praying, studying the scriptures and writing. 
and rewriting and rewriting. And as I prepared for the message for today, some of the commentaries and stuff that I read were aimed at setting limits. I realised, no, I reckon this is the flesh getting in the way here because the flesh wants to set limits. But I realised that Jesus set no limits and you only need to set limits if you're preaching law. If I was preaching law to you this morning and was to say to you all of this stuff is law that you would have to do, then at that stage we then have to start setting limits. But the Sermon on the Mount is not a lesson on law. The Sermon on the Mount is talking about the attitudes of the heart. It's a lesson on the kingdom of heaven. It's a lesson on kingdom values and kingdom principles that should be ingrained into our hearts. It's a gauge as to whether my heart is tuned in to the kingdom of this world or whether my heart is tuned in to the heart of Jesus. If my heart is tuned in to the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus leads his disciples to a radical shift in perspective. There is nothing more radical than for one to shift their perspective from the worldly to the heavenly. And that's what Jesus is showing us here. And he modelled it for us. Jesus never stood up for his rights. Jesus stood up for what was right, And he stood up for others, but he did not stand up for his own rights. When it came to himself, he gave up his rights. He gave up his rights as the king of heaven simply by descending to earth to be born as a baby in a stable. He bore grief and shame. He put up with insults and pain. He was beaten and flogged. He was spat upon and cursed. He was lied about. He was set up by people giving false testimony about him. He was humiliated more than you or I could ever imagine. He was stripped naked, beaten, cursed, nailed to a cross for the whole world to mock him and point at him and jeer as they walk past. Did Jesus do that because he was weak and he had to? No. He could go through it because he was strong. Did he suffer because his faith was weak? No. He endured suffering because his faith was strong. Did he suffer because he didn't love himself and go, oh, I just deserve it anyway? No. He suffered because his love for all of us was greater than all of the hatred that the world could muster and throw at him. Jesus modelled and taught the way of the servant. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must first of all be servant of all. Even though Jesus knew that 
He was the king of heaven. He became and he made himself the most lowly. One day, he took off his outer garment, knelt down at the feet of his disciples after wrapping a towel around his waist and washed their grubby feet. Our master, he didn't need to do that. His station in, in the universe, he didn't need to do that. But he lowered himself. He gave up his rights. He didn't stand up for them. He became the servant. Turn the other cheek is not a law. Going the extra mile for your enemy is not law. Giving to the needy and loaning to those who ask are not laws. These things are examples of kingdom living at its best. Jesus did these things out of love, strength and confidence. Jesus loved people and so he acted out of love. Jesus was strong. Within him was the power of God. And so he could choose to do these things. He wasn't forced to do them. And Jesus had confidence. He knew that he was the son of God. He knew that his kingdom was coming. He knew that he would be vindicated by his heavenly father. He knew that one day every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he was Lord. What's your motivation for kingdom living? Do you turn the other cheek because you read it in the Bible and say, well, I have to do that? Do you suffer insults without retaliating because you have no choice? Do you give up your rights, legal and social, because you're weak or because you're caught in a situation that you just can't get out of? Do you give to the needy out of a sense of obligation and begrudge every cent that you have to give? Do you begrudge going the extra mile because you have to? That's not what Jesus had in mind. He doesn't want us to look at this stuff as laws. We turn the other cheek out of love. Out of love, we don't retaliate. Out of love... We give to those who are needy. And out of love, we become servants. We turn the other cheek out of strength. From a position of strength, we have the power to deny ourselves. Out of strength, we can offer forgiveness. Out of strength, we can just step away when we've been hurt or in danger, or wronged, or insulted, and not retaliate. And we turn the other cheek out of confidence. As a Christian, our faces should be set towards eternity. We have every confidence that Jesus is returning. Kingdom living makes no sense unless you're living with an eternal perspective. Sermon on the Mount is not laws to live by. 
It's a gauge. It's a gauge for you to measure your perspective. It's a gauge for you to measure your love, your strength, your confidence in Christ, your faith. And I know I need that gauge. I suspect you probably do as well. For most of us, all of what we've done in life prepares us for worldly living. Your education, your politics, philosophy, knowledge, even the principles that that our parents have taught us, most of these prepare us for worldly living. And sadly, much of what you'll learn in church today prepares you for worldly living. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who will prepare you for kingdom living. The Holy Spirit is the one who increases the love in your heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who increases your confidence in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who can increase the strength that you have, the strength of God inside of you. He's the only one who can change his perspective from worldly to spiritual. And that's a battle I have to do every day. Even this very week somebody did something to me and I thought, well, that's just not fair. I'm not going to let them get away with that. They they just, I didn't think they could do that, but they have. Right, well, I'll fix them. I'll get them back. Who, who, was, who was doing the talking inside of me when I was thinking all that stuff? That's the flesh, eh? The flesh jumped straight into action. And I just wanted to stand up for my rights. You know what? I didn't have to stand up for my rights. And I didn't. Um, my wife could see what was going on. And um, I said, look at this. Look at, look at what they've done. They can't do They have done that. Right. Well, I'm going to have to do something about that. Michael, Michael, just drop it. Is that how it went, Robin? Not quite like that. Well, that's how I recall it. Um, she's my conscience sometimes. I didn't have to stand up for my rights, and I didn't. And I did just drop it. In the scheme of things, my rights aren't important. Neither are yours. Christ is what's important. Living for Christ is what's important. Having these kingdom values in your heart, that's what's important. 